This is Scale Your Joy with Kanisha Grayson, episode 19. Welcome to Scale Your Joy, the only podcast that teaches high achievers with heart how to craft a life and build a business focused on freedom, joy, self-expression, and social impact. I'm your host, Kanisha Grayson, a Harvard Business School and Harvard Kennedy School grad, author, essayist, and self-made entrepreneur. I did it and you can do it too. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. Today is a wonderful special episode. I will be interviewing and having a conversation with my beloved mentor and friend, Dr. Carrie Ann Rockmore. During this conversation, Carrie Ann and I talk about how we met, what made her accept to be my mentor, how did we become mentor and mentee, how did it turn into the fact that it became a reciprocal mentorship relationship, what are our top tips for finding a mentor and how to interact with a mentor, what to look for in a mentor. It is chock full of guidance. I would even say that this podcast episode itself is a little delicious chunk of mentorship from me to you. So I hope that you enjoy the conversation between myself and my mentor, Carrie Ann. I'm so excited to have my mentor and my friend, Carrie Ann Rockmore, here with us today. Hi, Carrie Ann. Hi, great to be here. So, Carrie Ann, I would love for you to just give us your bio, like a bio that you would share, let's say, if you were about to be a keynote at a conference of people with diverse, smart people with diverse interests. <laughs> Who is Carrie Ann? <laughs> Well, uh, the short version is uh, usually people want to know your professional life, which is to say uh, I spent 13 years as a professor. Uh, I left my tenured professorship to start a company. I spent seven years starting, growing, scaling a company, uh, an ed tech company that serves higher education. Basically, I went from being a professor to creating a company that trains professors. And then I exited that company uh, in 2017 and retired. So that's sort of the professional version. Um, Who am I as a human being? Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a mentor. I'm an absolutely voracious learner. I am a partner to my husband, happily married for 26 years. Um, And I live in beautiful Santa Monica, California. Beautiful, wonderful. I love it. And so one thing you mentioned that I think is super interesting is that you were a tenured professor, you Mm -hmm. said for 13 years. Okay. And that's already after the many years of education to get the PhD, then 13 years as a tenured professor, what went into the decision to leave academia that when you're tenured, my understanding, because I'm watching the Netflix show right now called the chair. I want to I I stop watching it because I had got some PTSD. (laughs) I was like, "Mm," I was going to text you and be like, you watching the chair. But I was like, I don't know that she would enjoy watching that show. It's like very upsetting uh, if you're in academia and really like if you're invested. So my understanding when you're tenured is you basically that's them saying, hey, we are academically, professionally bound together. You have a place here for as long 
as you want. And so that sounds like to me, the ultimate dream uh, for someone who gets a PhD, uh, that's the highest we can go, I I believe, unless I'm maybe an endowed chair might be higher. I don't know. But um, what went into your decision to decide to leave academia and start your own company and take what appears to be a huge risk? Yeah, so um, you're right. And I do always like to name it. I spent five years getting my undergraduate degree, a year getting my master's and another four getting uh, my PhD. So that was 10 years getting ready, right? Getting ready to be a professor. And that was my dream job. Um, That's all I wanted in the whole world um, Mm -hmm. was to be a professor. And then, oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? I not only got one of very few tenure track jobs, but I also got tenure and, um, you know, I actually got tenure early uh, because I had really great mentoring. So it was great while it was great. And then I think like many people, when they spend a long time in one career, what was a dream job for a particular stage of my life had just become totally miserable. (laughs) Honestly, I was miserable on a daily basis. Um, I became a professor because I wanted to teach and I wanted to teach at the college level. I wanted to teach undergraduates and graduate students and uh, teaching was great for a while. And then at a certain point, it was no longer as stimulating. My research for me, not for every professor, but for me, it was the tax I paid to teach. Uh, And because it wasn't the driving force for me, um, when teaching became less interesting and less stimulating, the whole job kind of lost uh, some of its luster. And maybe to be even more blunt, I find that when I'm miserable, it's a really important way that my soul is letting me know it's time for a change. Mm. And I was um, unhappy most of the time. And I, you know, I spent several years trying to make my job into something that I loved and trying to get my institution to value the things that I value. But I was really just banging my head against a wall. And then I just sort of realized this is not for me anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I think I was also having that midlife thing where You do everything you're supposed to do, everything um, that everyone tells you is going to make you happy. You get the education, you get the right job, you get the um, promotion, you have the right title. In my case, I, you know, guaranteed lifetime employment um, and a six-figure salary. You have everything that's supposed to make you happy. And on the outside, I look like a big success, especially from where I grew up. And I just was miserable. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah, no, that's you. Like that was a miserable. <laughs> so, um, one thing you mentioned, you said I looked like a big success, especially from where I grew up. If you are open to sharing, um, our listeners would love to know uh, what your cultural background is and how you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town, Jackson, Michigan. My dad was a principal. My mom was a uh, stay-at-home parent. And my whole life, like, you know, my dad was a principal. So, like, my greatest aspiration was to be a kindergarten teacher, right? So you can imagine to go from everyone expecting you, 
maybe, maybe you can be a kindergarten teacher <laughs> to uh, becoming a professor was sort of a huge shock. And, you know, my family was middle class. I never sort of wanted for anything, but we didn't have extravagant things. But the reality is my dad grew up in the depression. So uh, we were super oriented to saving, saving, financial security, getting something stable, getting tenure, getting something that is secure forever. That was sort of the orientation. So you can imagine to be a tenured professor is like the ultimate, right? I can't think of anything Uh, ultimate for your principal dad (laughs) and your stay-at-home mom. Yes. Yeah. And the only thing that made them happier, uh, my father's black and rich white. Everybody's Catholic. Um, And the only thing that made them happier was that um, I got my PhD from Notre Dame. It was just like, that was the pen ultimate. You checked every box. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. So for them, that was like, there wasn't anything bigger. Right. And I think for most people in my life, it just... Um, Plus, I had a great marriage. Um, We had a beautiful house in Chicago. I had amazing colleagues. Like, it just looked like everything was awesome. Mm -hmm. But, you know, your soul has this way of, like, snatching you up um, and getting Mm -hmm. your attention so that you make the changes that you need to make. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And I'm just curious, what did you say to yourself and to your restless spirit after 10 years of getting ready and 13 years of doing it? Like what, what did that internal dialogue sound like of deciding to, to leave it? Well, the universe gifted me with an extraordinary kick in the pants, um, which is that I had spent several years developing a mentoring program for underrepresented faculty. I poured my blood, sweat, and tears into it. Um, It became very successful, so successful that the provost at my institution was like, oh, we're going to make this a permanent program. But the gift that the universe had for me, because all I wanted in the world was to have a little budget and my program and be in charge of it and have a title and blah, blah, blah. And that just wasn't going to happen. So I was told, thank you so much for developing this amazing program. Of course, you understand we're going to make it a permanent program with a budget. And you understand we need somebody else to be in charge of it. This requires an elder statesman, someone who can be taken seriously across campus. So... Um, But we, of course, would love for you to help that person and show them how everything works. And, you know, I was devastated because Mm -hmm. I really, when I say I poured my blood, sweat and tears into it, it wasn't just the work. For me, this represented how I was going to be able to stay in academia, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Which was to do the one part of my job that I loved, which was mentoring. So when that happened, I kind of came undone. Um, I felt like somebody had literally kicked me in the stomach. Mm. Um, this, this thing that I had created was like, I felt like being taken away from me. And it was exactly the kick that I needed to be able to leave because I couldn't not do that work. And it was such a punch that I became clear in this place, in this context, 
I am never going to be seen as a leader. I am only seen as a helper. Mm. I am never going to be an elder statesman because um, basically you're telling me I'm not old enough and I'm the wrong gender. (laughs) By the way, no one could take me seriously. Thanks for sharing. That makes it really clear. I am not seen as a leader here and I'm never going to be. I'm always going to be the leader's helper, right? So, you know, I think there are moments, um, even though it felt devastating, because some gifts are wrapped in sandpaper, right? This was Um. one of them that I would never have left if I hadn't been kicked in the stomach. I never would have left because I would have been happy running a program with 90 faculty and a $20,000 budget for the rest of my life. That's what I wanted. But the universe wanted something else for me, right? And again, sometimes your soul will just snatch you up (laughs) because Mm. you're not listening. The misery wasn't enough. I had to have a complete roadblock to be told this thing you've created is no longer yours. You need to go do something else. Um, I had to have it be that specific before I would even contemplate leaving. And I didn't leave until I think two and a half years after that. Mm. Oh, that was a hard two and a half years, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. Did you have to watch that elder statesman run your program? Girl, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, bless his heart. Uh, He didn't know anything about what had come before it because he never participated in three years existed. They plucked him out of the dental school or something. And um, he was like, so what are we doing here? Like, yeah. yeah. And at that point, I just refused to be the helper. And I started kind of paving, taking these small steps to create a path out. And for me, there was no way, not with my background, that I was going to leave um, overnight. I had to slowly create the path, let the Mm -hmm. path unfold to slowly experiment with things. And I had to ask myself, what's going to make it okay for me to leave? Yes. Um, Because I'm not a jump out the window kind of person. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm super risk averse. Um, So the conversation with myself was more about, and what would make it okay for me to leave? And for me, these were all financial considerations. Mm. Um, These were um, having enough money to cover my expenses for a set period of time while I could get something up and running. I had to demonstrate to myself that there was a market for what I was doing. And most importantly, I had to demonstrate to myself that I could make as much doing my own thing as I was making in my salary and benefits. So that's what would make it okay for me to leave. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's good. Um, episode 11 of the podcast is called Take the Leap With Me. And I created something called the Lifestyle Entrepreneur Assessment Profile, which is okay. currently 20 questions, but it'll maybe be more that actually walk people through, you know, do you have X amount of months? And I say a certain actual mm-hmm. number. I don't want to misquote myself, but do you have right. X months saved <laughs> up? Have you done this? Have you done that? Not to wear people down question by question and be like, you can't do this, but to help people understand, hey, it's not time quite yet for you to leave the nest. If anything, you'll just be more stressed out. Yeah, I think if you're somebody who's risk averse to begin with, you need to be very clear about what's going to make it okay. Because I have seen so many people, they just quit and 
then they're so consumed by financial concerns that they don't have the energy and space to actually create. They feel like they can't make mistakes or they can't fail, which is part of being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They just don't have um, the sense of freedom to do that. So for me, it was worth the wait to make that happen. Absolutely. So one thing I can just feel, I can feel my listeners and they're like, this is all great, but how do I get a carry in? So (laughs) it's okay. I said we were going to go in order, but I actually do think we should skip ahead to uh, pass some of the business stuff to mentorship, just because I do think people are just like, okay, she sounds amazing. I get it. But like, how do I find my own? (laughs) So, um, Let's talk about that. I'm going to tell a story because I think I remember okay. better of how we met. Okay. I was probably about 2014 or 2015. I was five years okay. into running my business, five years after graduating. I do not know what I Googled. I probably literally Googled black woman, entrepreneur, and a hill or something. I don't know. And I found your business and I was okay. like, Oh, that's a black woman. And I actually <laughs> just emailed your team. I mm-hmm. have something called the email that always works that my client can use. Mm. Um, and we have used it. So even though you don't know the name of it, you see it very well. It's where I okay. reach out with a nice, clear subject line that in bracket says how we know each other. And it says okay. request for a 20 minute chat. And then it's like, hello, I just found your website. I have my own business. I would love to have just 20 minutes of your time to learn more about you know, what you're doing and any advice you have for me. If you're available for 20 minutes, here's my availability in your time zone. Uh, and then I've also attached my resume as a PDF <laughs> for your reference. Um, and then you close it. Sincerely, Kanisha. Then you put your name, your contact information again, because some people who are super busy uh, they actually tend to be way more responsive if it's a yes than, than yeah. the average person. So you want to have your number there in case they want to call you right now. Yeah. So I sent your team that email. And to my delight, they said, yeah, sure, you can talk to Carrie Ann. You and I had a conversation and it was in the stage of your business when you were extraordinarily busy. Um, it was when you were flying all the time, giving yeah. so many workshops and talks. And you yeah. basically were like, you were so full of energy, laughing so much. And you were like, girl, just copy my business. <laughs> it's like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> and you were just like, just do whatever I'm doing, but for your industry. Anyway, gotta go. And like, you did talk to me for the 20 minutes, but it was just like a whirlwind. And you were so happy for me, but so yes. consumed with your own business and growth that it was like, you were just like, good for you. And you had a very expansive, like, just do everything I'm doing. I'm like, but what is everything you're doing? Um, and so I was so excited, but overwhelmed and c- confused that I didn't really follow up. And the reason I tell that story is people think that if you don't immediately click with a mentor, get on their calendar every week or every month, do everything they say, then it's going to be ruined. Um, I will just interject and say one of my first tips is to just understand that like that mentor person is not your mentor yet. And they have already forgotten about you 20 minutes later. So as long as you show up to the call, show up prepared, like they're not going to be mad, you know, that they talk to you for 20 minutes. And maybe if they never talk to you again, but just make sure 
um, don't, don't make any promises. Right. So I didn't say, okay, Karen, I'm going to do this, 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 and then not do it. Uh, I just felt confused about where to go from there. So then, um, years pass and it is now 2017 and I'm in a business coaching program and things are going really well. I'm basically the star student. And one of my co-students in the program says, you have to meet this woman got to meet her. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. What I'm making all this money. I'm good. And she's like, no, you have to meet her. And she tells me the name. And I said, Oh, it's Carrie Ann. Yes, please, please. And so then we reconnected and then it's been consistent ever since. But I just wanted to tell that story of how we got connected and how it did actually take more than one time. And for people that I consider mentees of mine, it has taken for some of them several times of me saying yes, before I'm like, okay, you've worn me down, like I'm your mentor and why persistence and consistency matters because anyone that you're wanting to be a mentor is a very busy person. Uh, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're running around frantic or anything like that, but they, they're very careful about who they give their time to and don't tell yourself stories to fail ahead of time by not showing up to the call. Cause you're like, Oh my God, this person is so amazing. I implode and I don't show up, show up to the call, ask your questions, be your best self, send a follow-up email, and then try to stay in touch with the person. But I just start out with that. Carrie Ann, from what you can remember, <laughs> what, what made you after the, set, the the more recent time we met, what made you be willing to meet me at all in the first place? And then what made you kept letting me book calls? Because you, I only book them one at a time and I still only book them one at a time. So there's no promise on your end that I get to talk to you once a whatever for the rest of your life. What made you say yes and keep saying yes? So I'm glad that you told the story because I don't remember the 2014 call at all. Um, and you are exactly right. Um, I was traveling 40 weeks a year. So completely, uh, and at the most overwhelmed state of the business. So I'm glad to even know that. (laughs) What I remember is the second call. And I took it because I take a lot of, uh, I take every mentoring request. I mean, I take almost all of them, but I take all of them, especially uh, from women of color who are entrepreneurs. That's just an automatic yes. Um, so I took it probably just for that reason, but we had a delightful conversation and, you know, I felt like, you know, with the first mentoring call or second call, like you want the person to enjoy the conversation. It should be fruitful for them. And I think the mistake that a lot of people make is they just complain first of all, they talk the whole time. And second of all, they complain the whole time. And third of all, if you offer them any nugget, they want to then argue with you about why it will work for them. So, you know, I'm also kind of assessing when I'm talking to people, is this enjoyable? Is it useful? Do I feel like it was worth my time? I will say for subsequent calls, you always have a way of asking that makes it feel like you have a very specific thing you want to talk about or a specific question that you're asking that I and only I can answer, right? So um, it makes it feel extra worthwhile for me to take the call because I know there aren't a lot of people who can answer on earth, who can answer the question that you're asking. So you give me an incentive 
to be helpful and to be useful, you show me that there will be an important and unique conversation. And that's stimulating to me. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. And so one thing I want to point out is that I have never, I've learned a lot from Carrie Ann. I have never paid Carrie Ann any money. Okay. And she's never given me money for my business or of any other type. And we've actually, Carrie Ann, only met in person, I think twice. Um, Really? (laughs) I find that so hard to believe, but I think you're Mm -hmm. right. Yes. But, um, the second time though was for a lot, we, we hung out for hours and hours, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, of the things you said, one thing I would say as a takeaway is for an unpaid mentorship relationship, the tuition the mentee pays is their coachability, their being yeah. on time for the call, the having specific questions for the call. Um, and then I, I did. I don't send follow up emails to be like Carrie, and this is what I did. Mostly because a, I'm not great with follow through of that sort, and b, you don't want to read it. You're just like, I'll see you next time. Hope you yeah. benefited. Um, and I, the way I think of it is, you'll continue doing the calls as long as they're fun for you. And yeah, that's really interesting to me what you said about the complaining the whole time, as well as um, batting down suggestions that you make. And what I hear when I hear that is people uh, listening to this, make sure you're reaching out to the mentor for the right reason. What I mean by that is the mentor is not a therapist. So if, (laughs) (laughs) if you're having, like, I have a therapist, right? Actually, right after this, (laughs) this recording is our session, the mentor is not your therapist. So that is a therapist is an excellent person to literally just dump and be as out there as you need to be and as unraveled as you need to be. That is wonderful. A therapist. Also, a mentor is not, it's not actually a 50-50 even soundboard either, because what you want is to get what that mentor has to offer. Then in your own time, you can process all the advice they gave you through the lens of, well, do I want what she has? Mm -hmm. That's right. Versus spending the whole time being like, well, no, Carrie, and I can't because, well, no, Carrie, and I can't. Instead, you're just like, okay, maybe be more curious about things you disagree with than Mm -hmm. assertive of like, well, this is why it won't work. Ask more questions, gather more information. You can always process what you agree with, what you disagree with later versus trying to process with the mentor on the call about why it won't. That's also why it's so draining to me (laughs) to talk to some (laughs) of my friends about dating is because they spend so much of the time talking about why the things I'm suggesting won't work versus just hearing what I have to say and considering a little bit that I might have be right, maybe a little bit. Well, it's interesting that you say it that way because You want to leave your mentor feeling energized and not agitated and drained, right? So, um, you know, uh, the energizing part comes from asking the person questions, um, probing deeper, taking, playing with the ideas that are present. Um, What's draining is complaining, batting the things down, a lot of no energy. Because if I leave a call and I'm drained, probably I'm not going to be scheduling another call with that person. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing I want, I I, I forgot to say before, 
that I love about you is that you always say um, at the end, I have no idea what I could possibly do for you, but if there's anything that I, any way that I can support you, if there's any kind of thing I can help you with, please don't hesitate to ask, right? And as time went on, you got even more specific, which was helpful to me. Like one time you were like, if you have any millennial questions, <laughs> you need to let me <laughs> yeah. know. I will explain the millennial things to you. And I think your offering to be supportive in a specific way is, I think, what helped us to become reciprocal mentors. Like, I yes. feel comfortable asking you, hey, I don't know how to use Bumble BFF. Um, can you um, explain it to me? Or I'm trying to do it and I'm not getting the friend connections. I just don't know how to do this. Um, or even something as simple as um, that one time I was like, yeah, I, I, is texting really a thing in friendships? Like, is that important? Because I just don't do it. You're like, sis, let me tell you. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like I can then ask you things. I feel like I can ask for your help. And then once um, you start giving and receiving back and forth, that's mm -hmm. when I think really stronger um, relationships build, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And and I do want to emphasize as a mentee of yours and as a mentor mm -hmm. to other people and as your millennial mentor or one of your millennial mentors, as a mentor, you get a lot from, from a consistent mentee relationship because yeah. often it ends up kind of an age difference sometimes. And that mm -hmm. younger person or the learner student person, they're on the cutting edge of things. Yeah. And so I learned from my mentees, like, oh, like, tell me what, tell me about TikTok. Help me understand what TikTok <laughs> is. And there's also just small things. I remember when we talked about, you're thinking about getting a dog. And I was just like, yeah. we'll do it. <laughs> you know, like, it's a small thing. It sounds like a small thing, but it's a big thing to get a, a dog. It's a big deal. It's a big yeah. deal. Yes. Okay. And so how does someone find a mentor. I, I literally Googled you and then was reintroduced to you. Um, how do, who are some of your mentors or who have been some of your mentors along the way and how did you find them? So let me say this first, because um, I feel like one of the biggest mistakes people make is they go looking for a mentor and many people go looking for a single person who's, or maybe one or two people who's going to meet all their needs over their entire career, which it's amazing to me how many people have that in their mind when they hear the word mentor. And for me, I actually find it's more beneficial when you stop using the word mentor and actually ask yourself, what do I need right now to get through whatever challenges in front of me or to get to the next level of whatever I'm doing, whether it's personal or professional. Because if we imagine mentoring as being this magical relationship between you and another person um, for the rest of your life, there's just no way that one person can meet all your needs. And you're actually constraining yourself. You're actually, um, I find it very disempowering to um, have one person be in charge of all the things. Instead, I'm always asking myself, what do I need to move forward? Sometimes I need professional development to learn something. Sometimes I need emotional support. 
Sometimes I need community. Sometimes I just need a safe space. Sometimes I need substantive feedback um, on what I'm actually doing and the quality of my work. Sometimes I need role models. Sometimes I need opportunities. Sometimes I need sponsorship. Um, To imagine that one person can do all those things or even two or three people, I think is not realistic. And so I feel like the mindset shift around mentoring is that I am 100% responsible for getting my needs met. I am 100% responsible for identifying what I need. And the best way to get my needs met is to go find somebody who already has the thing that I want and have a conversation about how they got it. And the best person of all is somebody who recently got it because Mm. they still have all of the, if somebody got it 30 years ago, they don't still have mm-hmm. all the scrapes and bruises that they got mm-hmm. on the way to get it. <laughs> yeah. People who just got it. They're the people who they still have the bruises. They still they know where they came from. They're fresh on what mistakes they made or how they would do things differently. They also have the freshest referrals and suggestions and they mm. also know what's happening right now. So yeah. I think of these people as like big brothers or big sisters or aunties, people who are just a few steps ahead of me because they know and they know recently um, Mm -hmm. how to get the thing that I want. And whether Mm -hmm. that is a book contract, whether that is investors, whether that is um, how to hire the next team member when I've had a string of not successful hires, whether that has anything to do, even in my personal life, um, I did the same thing when I retired. I was like, I don't know how to retire and I'm doing it early. So how's this work? Uh, <laughs> so You have to learn a whole new set of skills. You have to fundamentally shift your identity. You have to fundamentally um, figure out who you are without the prestige mm-hmm. and title of your work. You have to figure out who you are not attached to an institution or to a business. Um, you need role model. You need all of the things that are required in a transition. So I just feel always um, a little uncomfortable with the term mentor, um, even though I get that it is the thing that people, it's the shorthand. Yeah. I think we do ourselves a huge service by asking, what do I need and where can I get it? And I'm asking myself this question on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Can you show us what that looks like? The asking of yourself, because I know you, Carrie Ann, and I know asking yourself yeah. does not mean just wistfully thinking about it. No. <laughs> There's probably a scenario involved. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I take a pause every week to plan my week. I'm planning my week in the context of the goals I have for the life I want to live. Um, But I'm planning very specifically how I'm going to spend my time during the week. I don't plan every single moment, but the big important Mm -hmm. things that need to happen go into my calendar. But during that process, I pause and I ask myself, what are the biggest challenges I'm facing right now? And what do I need? Right. Mm. And if I even just quiet myself down for a minute, and ask myself, what do I need? My inner wisdom is so happy when I finally shut the hell up and ask. (laughs) I have an inner mentor, right? So when I stop complaining and no, and this and that, when I quiet down and ask my inner mentor what I need, 
um, it's pretty clear. Um, I have a new challenge every week. I have several new challenges every week. Mm -hmm. Um, I have new things that I don't know how to do every week. And no matter what challenge I have, there are people in the world who have already not only faced that challenge, but mastered it. My job is to figure out who do I know who fill in the blank already has met that challenge and who has done it extremely well. And they've done it recently. Mm -hmm. The recently part is a very good reminder and I'm reminded too, because with my podcast, I'm always like, send me questions about entrepreneurship. And I get so many questions about year one, year two. And I'm like, I barely remember year one and year two. My taxes are higher than what I used to make in my business in year one and year two. And, and I, I'm surprised that, but it makes sense that 10 years in, I don't have the bruises and scrapes that I had from years one and two. So that's a very good takeaway for me to uh, remember as well. And I think that's why it's so fun for me and why I'm so passionate about talking to really like ambitious women who are looking to meet their beloved is I'm like, oh, I've been through it (laughs) just recently. I still still remember swiping on every single man in my city and then running out of men. So I, um, <laughs> that's why it's so fun for me to talk about it. Is I still remember how hard it was. Um, I just love that you said it exactly that way, because that's the kind of specificity, um, the kind of specificity that you have right after you've been through it, that you just don't have so far down the line, right? You just don't have it. And so when you're talking to somebody, you want them to have that level of specificity because then you know that they really get you. They yeah. really see you. They really understand what you're going through, not in a generalized way, but they really get it. Like it's still still part of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love it. I want to know, Carrie, how much homework mm. do you think someone should do on someone before they reach out for, we'll go, go ahead and just call it Uh, a mentoring call. Um, But before I ask you to answer that question, I do want to go ahead and say that I think it's best for people looking for a mentor to not use the word mentor. Um, It builds it up too big in the, in the targeted mentor's mind and makes it too hard to say yes. All you're doing is asking for one call at a time. That way they're not committing to anything. And before you know it, Six calls in, you've definitely tricked them into being your mentor, (laughs) but just don't use that word. Wait, you can wait two years before you use that word and nothing bad will happen. But if you use it in the first few engagements, it's just coming on too strong and it makes people feel like it's too much of a commitment. If it's even in the email, there's just this part of me that goes, because it feels really sticky, right? Like, oh, I feel like somebody wants me to like take them on for life, right? Like how long is it going to be? What's involved? Like, do I have to send like your kids graduation gifts? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how sticky it's going to be. So it just feels too big. It feels like a huge ask or it's just ambiguous. But if somebody says to me, um, can we have a 20 minute call? I'm a tenured professor and I'm about I'm thinking about leaving to start a business and I would like to understand and learn how you made that decision. 
absolutely 100% yes, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's an easy yes, because as you said, it's tight, it's clearly defined, we can get it done in that amount of time. Mm -hmm. And um, there's no reason for me to say no. So yes, it's a yes. If that same person says, can you be my mentor? Oh, hmm. (laughs) I'm not sure. And if I'm not sure, I'm just not going to answer the email. And then it's just going to go to the bottom of it. So that's the thing is me and Tyler have a term we call procrastinating, where we (laughs) see something that we're like, it would be good to respond. It would, it's important to me to respond to emails, but I don't have a clear yes. So I'm going to procrastinate and then it never gets, so it becomes a no. So if you don't make a clear ask and, and don't just ask, can we speak for 20 minutes? I'm free whenever. Now you're putting the burden on the targeted mentor to look at their schedule. And also don't give them your Calendly or your scheduling link because you're saying, hey, can I have a favor? And here, go ahead and and check yourself out like you're at Walmart. Like, (laughs) I know that it's very efficient to have one of those links, but it just, I don't, it just, it doesn't come across good to the mentor to be like, can I have a favor? And can you book yourself? Even though it's less efficient, I do recommend you putting, you're not assuming they're available. If you are available to speak to me, here are specific times I'm available and do not say you're free anytime because 100% of the time when people reach out to me and say that I respond and say, okay, we're talking this exact time. 100% of the time they're like, oh wait, but not that time. (laughs) And so call over. So, so Karen, how much homework should someone do or do you do uh, before a call with someone if they have information about them out in the world that you can consume? Well, I've done some homework to figure out how they fit into the category of having what I need recently. Mm -hmm. So I've put in some time to figure it out. Honestly, at this point, I usually ask people I know hey, do you know anybody who's really great at this or who has recently Mm -hmm. done this? And to me, that's a shortcut because the people I'm asking, I trust their referrals, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I trust that it fits the category, but absolutely, I'm going to go, I'm going to Google them. I'm going to get some sense of why they have what I need. Also, I certainly don't want to show up and not have a sense of who they are, because that would be disrespectful to the person and to their time. And honestly, um, I want to be able to have enough um, concrete, highly specific things, details that I can ask them very detailed questions. So there's a difference between, hey, um, you've made some career transitions versus you chose to leave a tenured professorship to start a company, right? Those are very different. Um, Whenever somebody can communicate details to me, it tells me that they've done their homework. It tells me, um, it makes me more interested in them, not because it's flattering, but because it tells me that they really cherish the time that we have together because Mm. um, they've done the homework to maximize the opportunity of that time, right? So you know, there's a balance. Like I need to know enough to have an informed conversation, but not so much that I would slip into fangirling because Mm. um, that just makes the whole thing awkward. I will say many people start a conversation just gushing and um, Mm. they, they go into this fangirl thing 
and it's awkward for me because I really just want to have a direct human connection. I know it's genuine and they feel like if they read something or been through a program that had a big change to them um, or they admire me for some reason, yeah, they want to share that. But there's a very fine line between demonstrating that you've done your homework and uh, Mm -hmm. know things about the person and you admire them and their role model versus kind of melting down into giggling and screaming. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was really important for you to bring up because with particularly younger women that I speak to, there is some fangirling at the beginning, but they keep it short. And so it's fine. The one thing that I just think it's inefficient, like you have the person, if I get to meet Oprah, I'm not going to spend 15 minutes telling Oprah, she's amazing. I'll be like, do I have permission to ask questions? Okay. I have 27 (laughs) because Oprah knows, you know, that she's awesome. And so, uh, like you said, even though it's genuine and of course people just have their own feelings, I really love that most of the young people that I speak to keep it nice and short. Cause I'm like, let's get to, how can I help you? Yes. So, um, concretely I might spend 15 to 30 minutes with Mm -hmm. someone who I've been referred to, uh, by someone I trust. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking for somebody from scratch, I would spend significantly more. I might spend 60 to 90 minutes trying to find somebody who exactly uh, Mm -hmm. fits what I want. And okay. That's helpful. One thing that I would say, even after you've connected with the mentor the first time is that you don't actually have to stop reading or consuming information about them. So I don't think I've ever shared this, but sometimes we wouldn't have a call booked, but I'd be like, I don't have anything specific to talk about, but I just like need some Carrie Ann. And so I would just Google and find like a podcast that you had been on and I would learn something because I'm like, well, she's the same person. She's being, you know, you get asked the same questions over and over and over again. Um, And so I remember there was like, I found something that was like an hour and a half or two hours long or something. I think it was an interview (laughs) between you and one of uh, your mentors. And I was like, this is a gold mine. Um, And you're not going to sit there two hours repeating all that. And so it was just, that's just one thing I want to say for people who are like, oh, I, you know, I wish I could have Kanisha as a mentor. There are ways for people to mentor you without even having an actual one-on-one call. Um, So I just want to say that. And also we forget like most successful people have written things, right? So we can also read, right? Um, I love to read books, articles, um, anything I can get my hands on of people who act as mentors for me, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're exactly right. They have poured their unique genius into various types of things. And you may have a preferred mode, but usually they have their wisdom in a whole bunch of different modes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in audio and in books and articles and all sorts of things. And yeah, I, I absolutely, I wrote this book called The Black Academic's Guide to Winning Tenure Without Losing Your Soul. <laughs> and I can tell you there is no question that I have been asked in a one-on-one that is not in that book, right? Mm. Um, It is something that I wrote after having literally hundreds of conversations. So yeah, I think it is also uh, worth seeing what they've written, what podcasts they've been on. Uh, You're exactly right. 
And, you know, it just reemphasizes this point that mentoring isn't just the one-on-one direct relationship Mm -hmm. in live moment, right? Like you can learn in a lot of different ways and your mentors can give to you in a lot of different ways um, that are not always perfectly aligned in the Mm -hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And I just want to say I'm a words of affirmation person, just even though we talked about the inefficiency of fangirling, I will, I'm going to do a little bit of that, but it's more to help people understand why you're such a, a good mentor match for me, um, or why we're a good mentor match for each other to help yeah. people understand. It's not just about finding someone that you're like, oh my goodness, this person is so successful. Um, hopefully they can mentor me. No, it's more about this person shares, uh, from what I can tell, values that I have, and they have what I want, and they also don't want some things that I also don't want. That's also really important. So, you know, my original draw to connect with Carrie Ann was like, oh my gosh, a woman of color with a business in education. What? But then other things for me is also um, your commitment to financial independence and retiring early. You actually helped me with um, the process of finding my financial planner. And I read the book that someone else had told you to read. Uh, We'll link to it in the show notes. And that helped me get connected to my excellent financial planner that I am just so happy with. Uh, And then also you mentioned earlier that you've retired from your business. You've exited your business. And I am very open uh, to whether that is a good thing or not about wanting to retire and exit from my business one day. And so that's very um, inspiring to me and also very helpful to me to know, like, this is a thing that can be done. I love that you've been married for 26 years. That is a huge accomplishment. And I actually remember before when I was still single, I was divorced and I was still single. I asked her, I said, Carrie Ann, how is it being married to a white man? And you were like, like, well, let's talk about it. And look at me now. So, you know, my, my beloved, my partner is a white man, but it wasn't that I went looking for that, but it was that I was like, okay, this is a thing that happens in life. Um, I need help. (laughs) Like understanding. Mm -hmm. And so, and then I remember also, you know, that I have so so few role models of women who are married and entrepreneurs and who don't have children. Um, I have so few. And so it can be really hard as a woman. Her, yeah. I'm in my thirties, but in your twenties or thirties to be like, can you be happy? And can you have a full yeah. life? Can you have a life if you don't have kids? Do you just mm-hmm. sit at home in a rocking chair with regret all day? <laughs> like, and so there's just... So many things. I also love how much you're a lifelong learner. It gives me a lot of permission to be like, wait, I have a lot of degrees, but that doesn't mean I can't go back and take more classes. And so um, I didn't get to share this before the interview when we were chatting, but I signed up for a writing class called New York Times Worthy Personal Essays. And I'm really excited. And it's taught by a New York Times published author. um, And I'm just ready to do the work and so excited about that. But those are some of the reasons why the fact that you're a writer, entrepreneur, financially independent, retire early, woman, like so many different things. 
uh, are all the reasons that make us a good mentor match. So I would just say to the people listening, don't just look for someone that has tens of thousands of followers on Instagram or something like that. Look for somebody who in at least one area, it doesn't have to be all areas. It's a cherry on top if it's more than one area, but at least one area has what you want. I concur. <laughs> I, I feel like this is what makes for a really good connection, which is it's not really just about one and only one thing. There is some energetic alignment, there is values alignment. You know, when I'm connecting with somebody, I I, I want to be able to see a part of myself, either past or future in them, right? I want to be inspired by them, right? Um, I want to, it doesn't have to be, you know, perfectionist level. Oh my God, I want to be them, right? Um, There's not really anybody I want to be exactly them, but that they help me to be the best version of me and that they can do so because there are so many points of connection. Mm -hmm. So, and just the ability to be open, honest, and transparent, right? Because sometimes people are so busy trying to present their best self to the mentor that um, you never really get to what they need. Mm, That, oh, that's a good one. Yes. The being, don't treat the mentor as a therapist, but nor treat it as a job interview. Um, They need to see what they need to know what you are struggling with or how you need help, because even if they can't help you with that exact thing, they can maybe help with the way you're thinking about the problem or pass you on to someone who can help you with that specific thing. But if you're just, okay, Carrie Ann, let me tell you about all my accomplishments and everything (laughs) I've done well. All you can do is clap for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to turn that mentor into an audience of your achievements. Um, They need to know, like, they, they showed up to the call to get into something, right? To be able to kind of engage with something specific. So you want to be able to concisely state what the issue is and um, be able to step back and really receive. Yes. More tactically, I suppose, I want to remind people to engage with the mentor on whatever platform the mentor prefers. So by that, I mean... I knew Carrie Ann for years before I ever started sending you text messages. And I only started sending you text messages because we were meeting so frequently. And then, so we were texting in between meetings. Um, But if the person that you're in your mind calling your mentor, if they prefer to schedule via email, then have a call on phone where they call you. Cause that's what, that's what we usually do. You call me, then that's what you do. I don't go and then message you on Instagram to your like dormant Instagram account to try <laughs> we have a call. And so I just wanted to yeah. just say that for people that it's, even if it's not your preferred method of communication, just know, okay, for yeah. this person, that's what we do. It's just going to, it's going to make it a lot easier for the mentor to say yes. Cause you have to remember you're yes. just, you, but they're having calls with maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 other people. And they're doing what mm-hmm. works best for them to where they can actually say yes. Yes. And you know, I think it's also the case, especially uh, if the person is older than you, it, you usually can't go wrong by putting your most formal foot forward and then becoming gradually more informal, right? Mm-hmm. So the formal foot forward, they'll lead you into the informal, right? Mm-hmm. Or not. Sometimes I won't. <laughs> Sometimes I end a mentoring conversation 
um, where I'm making the requests. Um, I'm the mentee and I'm still calling the person by their title and last name, right? Because they actually haven't given me permission to call them by their first name. And I'm not assuming that I have that permission, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have made an appointment with their, whoever their scheduler is um, or who their assistant is. Um, I'm not then trying to contact them directly unless they have said that that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, if there's more than a 10 year gap, start with the more formal and then you can become informal. You can take their lead um, and they will lead as they wish. I don't have any value judgments around um, better, worse, right, wrong. Um, but some people feel really strongly about formality. <laughs> some ah. people feel really strongly about informality. I'm more of an informal person. So when people get on the phone and they're like, Dr. Ruckamore, blah, 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 I will immediately say, oh, please just call me Carrie Ann, right? Or if you made an appointment with an assistant, oh, here's my direct email. Like I'll go straight to that informal because I'm comfortable with that. But not everybody is, and that's okay. You want to... Um, be able to have the kind of in the moment intelligence mm -hmm. to be able to read the signals that somebody's giving you um, and just follow that protocol. And mm -hmm. you said it earlier, but I thought it was so great. Um, don't ever lead in uh, this type of request by saying, and my scheduler is, right? Because um, the person that you're asking for something from isn't going to go to your schedule scheduler. That to me is an immediate no. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think people think, oh, but I'm being efficient, but it's just, you're just you making are. me do work. I actually have a book that I, uh, I hope this man isn't problematic. He probably is, but the book <laughs> is good. Um, it's called the curmudgeon's guide to getting ahead oh. <laughs> of right behavior, tough thinking, clear writing and living a good life. And I don't know the author uh, I'm concerned because of some things I see in the in the bio. But as far as the actual content of this book, yes. I find it to be very helpful, especially for millennials to just be like how to interact in the workplace or in uh, these kind of email settings with more experienced professionals. Uh, and it is more of that air on the formal and then they can lower the bar in terms of formality. Yeah. And then I think my last tip I would share about mentorship is to understand that the person that you think of in your head as a mentor is a person and to um, genuinely care about them as a person. And don't just think of it as like you coming to siphon off all their energy ideas um, and like encouragement, even if they do several calls with you like that, eventually it stops feeling so good if you never ask how they're doing or remember the things they shared. So I would say to genuinely care about that other person as a person, not just what they can do for you, but to actually leave time in the call. And it's okay if it's even the end of the call, but don't let it be after the allotted amount of time within the allotted amount of time to ask how they're doing. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Um, I think that's exactly right. And it's also amazing to me how infrequently people just say thank you for your time, right? Uh -huh. um, it's so simple, right? Like, it's like a sentence. But I think when you have a really transformational session with someone, I really notice when people thank me because so few people thank me. Uh -huh. And I don't need to be thanked. 
Mm-hmm. But it's so nice to be thanked. Mm-hmm. I don't expect to be thanked, but when I am, it's so like it, that person really stands out to me because so few people do it. <laughs> so, um, you know, for me, it's again, uh, for my age and upbringing, it's unfathomable to not say thank you when someone has gifted me with their time. And I really see uh, someone taking time to mentor me as a gift. But everybody doesn't think that way. So if you want to, um, you know, I hate to say if you want to stand out, just thank the person. (laughs) You probably will stand out by thanking them. Oh, that's such a good tip. And I actually want to demonstrate from a genuine place of interest the tip that I just shared. And I know that I feel that a lot of people still approach you very much wanting to talk about your past, uh, what you've been, what you've done in the past. I would love for you to talk about what you are doing now and what your future visions and goals are, as well as what I'm referring to is the Joy Collective and other initiatives that are lighting you up. So please tell us about that. So once I retired, I went through, um, I think what everyone does when they retire, they go through the honeymoon phase. They do all the things they swore they would do if they just had time. Um, they do the travel, they, they just do all the things. And then you get to the other side of it. And of course, having a meaningful life requires that you have work that lights you up, whether you're paid for it or not paid for it. Um, in retirement, you're likely not to be paid for it. But there are things that, you know, you're designed to do in the world, you're just free to do them without the constraint of having financial relationships. So for me, I'm really clear. Um, I always have been and always will be a teacher. I always have been and always will be a mentor. Um, That's what I always have been and always will be a voracious learner. Those are the things that light me up. So um, I started the Joy Collective, uh, which is just an online community because um, my husband and I had been every December for more than a decade had been uh, taking time out in December to really pause and step back and unplug and ask ourselves what we really desire in different areas of our life, Uh, really systematically going through and asking ourselves what we want. We've been doing it for so long that, uh, and I talk about it all the time because people are like, well, how did you do this? How did you do that? It's like, well, I have a vision for what I want my life to look like and I'm moving in that direction. And that requires Mm -hmm. doing certain things and meeting certain goals So I decided to share that with people. I think I taught it in like a Facebook group or something. And I thought there'd be like, I don't know, 20 of my friends and it ended up being 1200 people. Um, So really going through that process. And, you know, I just kind of got to that point. I think a lot of people have gotten to recently, which is I don't want any involvement with Facebook whatsoever. Um, or any of its entities uh, for a wide range of reasons. And so I moved that group to its own platform so that, you know, we're doing the work of not just figuring out what we want, but what I learned was much more important is then what do you do the the other 11 months of the year Mm. to bring that vision into reality? Because anybody who says it's going to happen overnight or a weekend or a week, creating a meaningful life Especially, um, you know, especially if you're someone who wants things that are different than you've been told to want or socialized to want or made to believe are going to make you happy, 
at a certain point in our life, we have to figure out why we're here and what we're doing for the remaining time. Um, I'm in the third quarter of life and you know what? It's not going to go on forever, right? And so for me to construct a meaningful life, um, for me to get clear about what I'm here to do, that requires doing all kinds of things the other 11 months of the year. So I wanted to create a space off of social media where people who are committed to the depth of change that needs to happen in order for them to get to where they want to go, um, people who are committed to the idea that we all have our own unique path, but we learn something from walking together. And for people who are really needing community accountability and support for really tough experiments, making mm. big changes in their life. So for me, that's what the Joy Collective is. I'm in transition and I wanted a bunch of people, uh, a bunch of peers to walk with me in that process. So basically, I kind of created what I wanted for myself. Oh, <laughs> and uh, more than anything, it's helped me transition um, from that post honeymoon phase of retirement into what's coming next for me. So uh, that's what it is. And I love having a peer network and not a guru based network. Um, and I love the consistency, the support, the accountability that goes into it. So that's what I'm excited about. And um, it's really, it's been a delight. And it's frankly, um, you know, it's very different when you're supporting people and you're not, they're not paying you, right? I've had to also sort of rethink what, you know, look, I spent my career and certainly built my business on people paying for training. So it's very different than that. And it's, for me, been a learning experience to figure out how do you facilitate a community and how is that different than... Mm coaching or mentoring or training, right? All of which are professional services, which, you know, um, especially for coaching and training, people should be paid for. But what does it mean to be in a peer community? And what does it mean to mm -hmm. be walking together and supporting each other? So yeah, I mean, it's been messy and um, I've learned a lot and I continue to learn. And of course, that's what's stimulating to me. Oh, beautiful. Is the Joy Collective accepting new members right now? Or how does that work? Well, <laughs> I mean, I do take people in. Uh, we have some, usually people come in um, as a referral from somebody else. Okay. Um, but I, I, they, people can answer a questionnaire. Um, and I, I think about if they're a good fit. Yeah, it's up to you. It's up to you. Yeah. Understood. Yes. I wanted to, my favorite thing in the world is to show off my annual clarity retreat book. So I got to grab. Oh, please do. <laughs> I remember the first time you showed it to me, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh my gosh. So yes, I I'm in the joy collective and I did the clarity retreat. Uh, I'm trying to see what I can show to do. I, I did it very colorfully. And just really did it. I did. I did it really. I really did it. You really did. You really this did. is my write-up of what I want in my relationships or friendship. I think, let's see, what is this for community? Yeah. I really filled it out. Um, and so to be clear, the, the annual clarity retreat is the process that 
Carrie Ann and her husband do every year. They've done for many years. And that, as she was saying, people were asking, how do you do it? And so she shared it with other people, thought it would be 20. We ended up being a group of 1,200. And it's been life-changing for me. I've really, yeah, here is my, uh, I, I used paella and tapas as my framework for my goals. And uh, <laughs> I said at the end of 2020, I wanted to establish a home base and a shared life vision with my life partner. And I have my life partner and I have, I actually bought a house, not just a home base. We have an actual house and home base. And I'm just like, wow, this really works. This is really real. And I'm just so grateful for the work that you put into the Joy Collective and that it is free. Um, And I I think of the tuition that we pay for getting to do the annual clarity retreat for being in the joy collective is our presence and, and showing up for the other people in the group and showing up for ourselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I just think it's so rare that we make the time and space to really, really ask ourselves, like, why am I here? Like, Mm -hmm. what do I, what do I desire? Like, what do I really want? What does it really look like for me, just where I am, to live a meaningful life and a life worth living? And we're so bombarded by information all the time that to really make that space, um, it's amazing to me how differently um, people end that clarity retreat then starts. And it's amazing to me that now every year when we start it, uh, it starts by people who did it the year before. Uh, really talking about everything that happened in the past 12 months, which is just, I don't think I could have any better job, albeit unpaid, (laughs) than facilitating that group and really holding the container in which people can make their own changes, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's the beauty of a peer network is that um, everybody wants different things um, and people's paths look really different but there's still a way for us to support one another. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you, Carrie Ann, for sharing so much of your insight, your encouragement, your beautiful, bodacious laugh. Um, <laughs> and just the, it's just, you are a light. And I'm just mm. so happy to be your mentee, your mentor, and your friend. Likewise, I especially um, just love being able to be in conversation with you about this um, in a way that hopefully is helpful to other people. Absolutely. Loved what you heard in this episode? Then you've got to join the Scale Your Joy review crew. It's my community of followers and friends who have left a review on Apple Podcasts. Every quarter, I host a two-hour Ask Me Anything coaching call for review crew members only. Come to scaleyourjoy.com to learn how to join the review crew and get more tools for charting your own path and scaling joy.